Good morning from me. I'm Rod, one of the people that works for this place. Um, I guess I wanted to dedicate this morning um, to both Sophia and Jasper. The series that we're in the middle of is a series about uh, the temptations that Jesus faced in the wilderness, and we're looking. We're using a book by uh, the Dutch um, theologian Henry Nouwen to look at those temptations. And Henry Nouwen sees those three temptations as the temptation to to get our sense of self from being productive, from being shiny and spectacular, and the last one that we're looking at today is from being powerful, from being in control. And if there's one thing that um, Sophia represented for our community, it was a living symbol of someone that did not get their sense of self from being productive or being spectacular or being powerful, being in control. Um, And there's also nothing that uh, symbolizes kind of lack of productivity, lack of spectacularness and lack of power and control than a, than a three-week-old baby. So they are both powerful, powerful symbols for us this morning of exactly what we're talking about in this series, that that cannot, cannot be where we get our sense of what it is to be human and where we get our sense of what it is to be of value because neither of them were like that and they were beautiful and they were loved. So I wanted to begin there with dedicating this morning to them. Um, Speaking of children, I also wanted to pass on an apology from Tilly, my daughter. Um, She's just started playing soccer on Sunday mornings and so you won't be seeing as much of her and she was concerned that people would be worried that she didn't like you or that or that she'd given up on church. Um, she hasn't. She's not backsliding. She's just sliding in for a tackle. So there you go, Tilly. I did it for you. Um, also, just I need your help with... Um, we've got some feedback from Jenny that my microphone technique is a tiny bit lacking. She listens to the podcast and sometimes she can't make out what I'm saying. So if you see me doing this, then, you know, just this symbol, that's all I need. Particularly when I'm doing this, apparently, when I'm looking that way. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll work on it, Jenny. If you're listening, you can understand what I'm saying. Um, let's begin with a, a quick recap Oh, there we go. So this is what we're calling our series, Finding Our Way Home, False Paths and Authentic Lives. Because it's us, we're focusing on false paths and not talking that much about authentic lives, but never mind. Um, by implication, you'll be able to work out what the authentic lives look like from just avoiding the false paths, surely. Um, and this is the passage that we're using I removed the extra word this week. Anita will be pleased to know. It's a thing. So, just 
in the interests of full transparency. Um, we use the Inclusive Bible, it's this beautiful Bible, but there's no online version, so um, I normally get the new RSV version and then I get out my Inclusive Bible and I do a quick change of the NRSV to sort of be more like the Inclusive version, but it just means that sometimes I accidentally leave both versions in there. Um, and occasionally a he sort of slips in there. Um, yeah, I think we did all right. Uh, yeah, we had a son of God in there, which I got rid of too. So this is, we're finally peaking with our translation this week. It's fully inclusive. Um, would anyone, in honour of it being fully inclusive, would anyone like to read it? Thanks, Daph. And I have my glasses unlike Anita last week. <laughs> so we're reading Matthew 4, 1 to 11. <clears throat> And Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was famished. The tempter came and said, If you are the only begotten of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city, placed him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, If you are the only begotten, then throw yourself down, for it is written, God will tell the angels to take care of you, and with all their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, Scripture also says, Do not put God to the test. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and displayed all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor and promised, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. At this, Jesus said to the devil, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the most high God, God alone will you serve. All that the devil left, sorry, at that the devil left. And angels came and looked after Jesus. Thanks, Daph. Um, I should also warn you there's not much kind of interactivity this morning because we're trying to be quick so that we can get on to co-creators. Um, but we're kind of splitting this third temptation, the temptation... Um, to control and power over two weeks. So um, if you're lucky, Tamsin will give you some chances to, uh, to chat next week. Um, so as I said before, Henry Nouwen calls this third temptation um, the one at the end, uh, the temptation of power. Um, Another way I've heard this temptation described is as a temptation to bypass the cross, uh, to be a different kind of Messiah to the Messiah that Jesus came to be, uh, to be the Messiah that Israel was actually expecting. Um, and that makes it a pretty powerful temptation for Jesus. I think, A, he gets to avoid suffering, and B, he gets to avoid all the difficult marketing issues that come with being the Messiah that people don't expect rather than the Messiah that they do. 
And Henry Nouwen says that this, um, this is the incredible power of this temptation. Um, and it's the incredible power of this temptation for the church, and it has been for the whole history of the church, a temptation that is powerful because it means we get to avoid suffering and we get to market ourselves in the way that people expect organisations, communities to market themselves as powerful. And that's why the church has constantly fallen for this temptation over its history. Um, He says that, oh, I've jumped over our summary, everyone. These are the three... um, Statements that Shane came up with yesterday, just to, sorry, last week to summarize um, our series. So the first temptation was um, to just be relevant and to focus on um, making people believe in him through being productive rather than through love. Um, so the question for Jesus wasn't whether some would believe in him, but why they believed in him. Um, then Tamsin's week, the second temptation, was about what kind of Messiah would Jesus be, successful, relevant, shiny, powerful, or faithful. Um, yeah, Tamsin quite brilliantly took what Henry Nouwen said, which was talking about the temptation to be popular, and turned it into the temptation to be spectacular or shiny, which I think connected much more powerfully with, um, with me as... Um, popularity is something that's easy to go, oh, no, I don't need to be popular, but to be shiny, to be impressive, that is a powerful temptation. Um, oh. Yeah, so today we're just talking about um, what kind of God we see in Jesus, uh, what kind of God Jesus chooses to reveal, um, whether it's a spectacular, mighty, distant, violent one or a vulnerable, intimate, relational one. Um, that's really the choice that the devil is giving Jesus um, in this temptation. So anyway, as I was saying, (laughs) Henry Nouwen says that power offers an easy substitute for the hard work of love. It is easier to control people than to love them. So again, power offers an easy substitute for the hard work of love. It is easier to control people than to love them. And then later, um, on the next page of his book, he sort of elaborates on that. The long, painful history of the church is the history of people ever and again tempted to choose power over love, control over the cross, being a leader over being led, Those who resist this temptation to the end and thereby give us hope are the true saints. It's a powerful quote. It's powerfully confronting. And especially for those of us that are in, I mean, all of us exercise leadership in lots of spheres of our life, but if you have a leadership role, um, to be challenged to be someone who is led rather than someone who constantly claims the status of a leader is, is powerfully provocative. The question for us this morning is, um, what does it mean exactly to choose love over power? What does it mean to choose the cross over control? 
What does it mean to choose being led over being a leader? And how do we do it? How do we choose love over power? How do we choose the cross over control? How do we choose being led over being a leader? For Henry Nouwen, it begins with um, looking at Jesus, not just what he does in rejecting this temptation, but how Jesus lives his whole life. Nouwen says that Jesus models a leadership of powerlessness and vulnerability. Not a leadership of psychological weakness. I think that's often what we fear that we're doing when we embrace love over control. We fear that we're being weak that we're demonstrating a lack of spine, a lack of courage, um, letting others make decisions for us, letting others um, push us around. And Henry now is very quick to say, this is not at all what we're talking about here, but we're talking about a constant choice to abandon power in favour of love. Um, it reminded me of the, the scene... Um, in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, for those that are familiar with C.S. Lewis's work. Um, the scene where Aslan, uh, the lion, the kind of Christ figure in the book, dies. And um, i just read this out because I love the way this ends. The children, watching from their hiding place, could see the face of Aslan looking small and different without his mane. Um, he's captured and has his mane shorn off. The enemies also saw the difference. Why, he's only a great cat after all, cried one. Is that what we were afraid of, said another. And they surged around Aslan, jeering at him, saying things like, puss, puss, poor pussy, and how many mice have you caught today, cat, and would you like a saucer of milk, pussums? Well, how can they, said Lucy, Tears streaming down her cheeks. The brutes, the brutes. Very English, isn't it? (laughs) For now that the first shock was over, the shorn face of Aslan looked to her braver and more beautiful and more patient than ever. What the life of Jesus asks of us is not to follow him down a path of of weakness, but to follow him down a path of incredible courage. The courage to choose vulnerability over control. Uh, The courage to um, let go of all the defences that protect us from, from pain and from suffering and from the pain and suffering of others and embrace a path of incredible intimacy with our own pain and with the pain of others. It, it makes me want to do what Tamsin did, which is to subtly change um, the name of this temptation away from the temptation to power and to, to call it instead the temptation to control. I think the danger of calling it the temptation of power is that we hand the word power over to controlling power, to violent power. Um, And what we see 
Jesus revealed to us is instead a very different idea of power. Why I'm wearing my Jacinta Ahern badge this morning in honour of people that reveal different forms of power. Um, um, Iliodelia is a, a scientist and a theologian, and um, I came across this quote from her this week, or maybe last week, which I thought was beautiful, and that is that in the mirror of the cross, we see what it means to share in divine power. Um, and also a quote from Paul, um, from 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. What we're being tempted, what Jesus is being tempted to, and the great temptation for the church is, is to choose the wrong type of power, um, to choose the power of control. Uh, there are so many talks that can come out of this little temptation. Um, you could have a whole talk on power. Um, I, this morning, made this little slide just as a little, <laughs> a little nod a little nod to what, what I'm talking about here. Um, because I was thinking about, thinking about nuclear fusion this week, as you do. Um, for those that didn't do physics, um, fission is where you get a big atom and you split it in two and you release a lot of power that way. But fusion is where you get two tiny atoms and you, you join them together. And in joining them together, all of the excess energy from those two atoms is released. Um, and this is how we get the heat from the sun. Um, the sun is just one massive fusion reactor. Billions and billions of tiny atoms getting incredibly intimate with each other, showing incredible vulnerability to each other by becoming a new, slightly bigger atom and in so doing, releasing incredible power. And it, it made me think that it's a, it's a, it's a lovely um, metaphor uh, for the kind of power that we see in Jesus and the kind of power that Jesus calls the church to release the power that comes from millions of small individuals showing vulnerability to other people and in so doing creating this chain reaction which releases incredible power versus, you know, the control metaphor of coal where you take and exploit something to get a little flare of heat for a second and then it's gone. And so you move on to exploit something else and exploit something else. Now, for those that are really into their cosmology, they'll know that that metaphor breaks down at a certain point because eventually the sun's going to run out of fuel and it's going to grow and destroy us. Um, so don't go too far with the analogy. Don't get out of control. But uh, for now... It's a beautiful analogy. 
Anyway, I think you get my point. <laughs> the point is that Jesus is inviting us to a different form of power, a power, power not of coercion and control and violence, but the power that comes from intimacy and from vulnerability. The cross challenges our notions of strength, of courage, and of power. It challenges what we mean when we say that we believe in a God of power and might. It turns these words on their head. I still believe in God Almighty. I still believe in an all-powerful God. But my notion of how God exercises power has completely changed. I believe now in a God that exercises non-coercive power, the power of love, the power of being everywhere in every moment and every place, coaxing the world towards love. That's incredible power. There's no coercion in it. And it also helps us to make some kind of sense of why there's so much tragedy in the world. Because we see God as operating with a different form of power, the power of love that means there's all sorts of things that God cannot do. And suddenly we realize that we are working alongside God to transform this world, but that the world remains arbitrary even though God is not. God is constant in love. That's a whole series right there, so I'm just going to leave that alone. (laughs) Where are we? I wanted to finish with some, some questions. Before I read out the questions behind me, um, I just want to talk briefly. I'm a little bit obsessed with Judas. I want to talk briefly. I'm going to return to Judas. I talked about him a few weeks ago. Um, Last week, Shane talked about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and the way in the Garden of Gethsemane we see Jesus um, enacting the form of power that takes the form of vulnerability. He takes his friends to pray with him. He asks them to wait with him, to pray with him. They fall asleep and he experiences the incredible pain that comes from being let down by your friends. It's an incredible symbol of Jesus' refusal to control uh, and his constant openness to the vulnerability and the pain that comes from intimacy and from not controlling his friends. And it struck me that this um, is also so true of his relationship with Judas I think a lot of us were raised um, to see the relationship between Jesus and Judas as one of control, that Jesus chooses Judas for this role of betrayer, that when Jesus meets Judas, he goes, aha, he's the person I've been looking for to betray me in a few years' time, so then that will work out my plan to get to the cross. Um, And I think that to see Jesus in that way and to see Judas in that way is a betrayal of both. I think Jesus chose Judas as a disciple because Jesus was drawn to him. Jesus loved him. Jesus saw 
his zeal, his earnestness, and was compelled by it, loved it, wanted to be close to it, wanted to share his mission with this man. And I think it was only slowly over time that Jesus realized that Judas was not going to be persuaded by the kind of Messiah that he was, that Jesus was not convinced by this way of vulnerability and intimacy, that Judas couldn't let go of his desire for a Messiah who would control, who would bring victory. I'm pretty sure that Judas betrayed Jesus to spur him to action, to make him take on the authorities violently. This is the last roll of the dice to go, if I, if I betray you, if I lead these soldiers to you, then you will finally rise up. You will finally take on the authorities and you will finally be the Messiah that I know you can be. And when we read at the Last Supper, when we read Jesus' words to Judas, woe to the one who betrays the human one. It would be better for that one not to have been born. We see it's so easy to hear the tone of the judging. I knew you'd be like this kind of brutal parent. <laughs> but it's just as legitimate to read it in a pleading tone. Jesus pleading with Judas for the last time to not choose the path of violence but to choose the path of intimacy and vulnerability, to stick by him in this crazy upside-down plan. Telling Judas it doesn't have to be this way. Maybe I need to go to the cross, but it doesn't have to be you that makes me go there. I don't believe that Jesus manipulated and controlled people to follow some path. He had predetermined that is the path of power. I believe that Jesus' path was instead shaped by questions like these. Who have I been led to? How can I love them? And where are they leading me? Who have I been led to? How can I love them? And where are they leading me? I think all of our relationships could be transformed by asking ourselves these questions. Family relationships, friendships, romantic relationships. As a parent, this week I've been asking myself the question, do I have the courage to love my children, to be vulnerable to them rather than controlling them, rather than maintaining emotional distance from them? I never realised when I became a parent how much fear there would be in it. You're utterly terrified that terrible things will happen to your children. And it is the greatest battle to not allow that fear to turn you into a controlling parent, but to be brave and to love them and let them lead you instead. Let them show you who they are. I once had a conversation with a friend who was... um, He's a pastor, a former pastor of a church that I was a part of. 
And he said, um, the thing about you and me, Rod, um, is that we're so good at replicating emotion. We're so good at manifesting the emotion that we feel the person that we're with needs us to manifest. We don't check in with ourselves very much. We don't actually ask ourselves, what am I actually feeling? We just manifest the feeling that seems appropriate. It's one of the most confronting conversations I've ever had, but it was true. Um, I was listening to someone this week talking about how being a pastor and being a therapist, they both can so easily be a way of hiding from your own stuff, hiding from your own body, hiding from your own emotional life um, and focusing on the bodies and emotional lives of others instead. Um, And it's, it's such an important thing to say for this community because I think in this community we can kid ourselves that we don't have control issues. You know, we've left all of that behind in those other churches that we've come from. To This church is all about, you know, love and inclusion and letting people be where they need to be. Um, but for someone like me, that can just as easily be a kind of kinder form of control. Because what's, what's really at stake is not can I let you be where you are and can I let you feel what you are feeling? But am I, do I have the courage to let you know what's going on for me? I struggle enormously with that. My MO has always been to be the rescuer and to be completely in control of my own stuff. I don't need anything from anyone. So that's my challenge. And I think as a leader in a community like this, it's an easy place to hide from yourself. So please, don't just keep me accountable for my microphone technique, but also for all of us on the CPLT, um, yeah, pray for us. You don't have to all talk to us. That'd be too much. Um, But pray for us in the privacy of your own homes. Um, Yeah, that we don't... We don't use this job as, um, as a way of exercising soft control, but that we allow the possibility of us failing, of us letting everyone down, of us um, making mistakes. We allow that to be a possibility in our minds and we allow that to be something that we think that could happen and these people would still love me? And it's the same question for all of us, isn't it? I'd encourage you to read Shane's weekly note this week on Facebook because it's really saying in a somewhat more articulate way the things that I've just been saying. So have a look at that as well. Just before I finish, before we have uh, communion, I want to A... Apologize again that I haven't given you guys a chance to speak. Um, and B, I like my numbers and my letters. Um, I want to acknowledge that um, the discussion that we've had today about choosing love over power or choosing love over control hasn't touched on the way that this can be abused. Um, I know a lot of us have been told by our pastors or told by our church communities that you have to choose love over power. 
and it's been used as a way of controlling us and silencing us. So Tamsin is going to touch on some of these themes next week. So we're not ignoring that possibility. We're not ignoring the fact that these kinds of ideas, love and the encouragement to love can be used as a way of, of abusing people and controlling them um, from the front or from the top. So I just want to acknowledge that at very least and say that we're not going to ignore those issues and we will talk about them next week. Is that okay? We should finish, um, but let's finish with communion. Um, I want to come back to this one. In the mirror of the cross, we see what it means to share in divine power. So as we come and have communion this morning, um, oh, yeah, it is still this morning. Um, as we come and have communion this morning, I want us to reflect, uh, as we reflect on Jesus' death, as we reflect on um, his body and his blood, just to remind ourselves that um, we cannot bypass vulnerability and death if we want to enter the kingdom of God. We cannot bypass naked vulnerability and death if we want to be a true leader of any kind. We can't bypass naked vulnerability and death if we want to be any, have any legitimate form of authority. When Jesus says no to Satan, he's saying yes to the cross. That's fundamentally what he's doing. He's saying, I will enter my kingdom this way, not your way. And so we're celebrating that choice in this little meal. Let's pray. Loving God, as we finish, we remember again uh, Sophia and Jasper, and we, we thank you that, that you stand with them and that you stand with all of us in the cross, all of our suffering, all of our grief, all of our feelings of being abandoned by you, that in the cross you stand with our God-forsakenness. And I pray this morning that you might help us to be people that know how to be intimate with others, that know how to be vulnerable to others, so that they will trust us to stand with them when they are vulnerable, when they are broken, when they are grieving, when they feel abandoned by you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.